Hey friend, welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Ronnie Rock. She is the author of One Woman Can Change the World. Ronnie thinks that you can change the world, and after chatting with her, I agree, and we think that you will too. Join us to reclaim your God-designed influence and impact right where you are. We can change the world one woman and one love offering at a time. I can't wait for you to tune in to today's conversation. Hello, Ronnie. Welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy you're here. I am honored to be here, Rachel. You call yourself a mouthpiece of celebration for women with redemption as our theme. How have you yourself been redeemed? Well, without going into a long story about my past, I will say that I am like a number of women, uh, not only in our country, but around the world, women who have been victimized, um, women who have been abused. Um, I have sexual abuse, verbal abuse, and physical abuse in my background, all from um, all at the hands of men. And so I would say that my personal greatest redemption is, first of all, falling in love with Jesus, and then the redemption that came with God showing me a different perspective on men and mm-hmm. helping redeem the word father to me. Um, and so through that redemption, my lens was changed in the way I viewed the world that I think now has again, redeemed the way I look at the world when it comes to women in our role, instead of seeing us as also rands or second class or, um, afterthoughts, seeing us as part of God's perfect and beautiful plan for leadership, influence, and change. Well, on that topic, you actually have 30 years of creative leadership with faith-based organizations around the world where you've gathered words and images that inspire others to action for orphan outreach. Would you share how you first became involved with these faith organizations and specifically your heart for orphan outreach? Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you, I did not go in through a a single straight shot door. I had a lot of creative experience in marketing and promotion on the corporate side and in television. I worked for a major airline. I worked for a global retailer. And um, in the midst of that, always had an opportunity to do cause marketing, working with nonprofits but never thinking that I would actually work um, in the nonprofit space or in the faith-based space. But an opportunity presented itself a little over a decade ago for me to take my marketing expertise and move it to the nonprofit side. And I thought, oh, this is wonderful. I'll get to take all of my, yay me, and (laughs) take it into um, the nonprofit side, take it into the faith-based side where I know that there's, um, there's usually a not, not as much money, not as much resource. This will be an opportunity for me to really serve using my gifts and talents. I didn't realize that I would be wrecked and transformed in the process. Um, I fell in love with orphan care. And by orphan care, I don't just mean those children who um, are without parents or support, but also those children who are highly vulnerable 
because of poverty, um, because of abuse, because of neglect, fell absolutely head over heels in love with those kids. And so that's how I, um, I just, I became addicted, honestly, at that point to the story of hope and um, was privileged to first work with Orphan Outreach, which is a Texas-based organization that serves in eight countries around the world. I was first honored to work with them as a volunteer. I led some mission trips. I then um, wrote some things for them from a freelance basis, and I've been on staff now for about five and a half years. Mm. And you actually just got back from a trip, like, last night. Like like last (laughs) night, really late. Yes, I just got back from two weeks in Guatemala. I um, said that if my voice sounds crackly at all, it's because it's the pristine Texas Hill Country air that really gets to me. I I seem to work better in dirt and diesel and um, in the muck and mire of developing countries. I get back here, it gets really clean, and I just shut down. So <laughs> I know. I joked before this interview. I'm like, did you really mean to schedule this today? And you said, well, I mean, yeah, but I, I, I wanted to stay in Guatemala even longer. <laughs> I could have. I keep trying to. I ask Jesus all the time, why in the world we can't have teleportation? <laughs> if it, if I was a superhero, that would be my, that would be my power because then I would, I would go to Guatemala in the morning. I would have a really great breakfast. I'd check on my kids. I'd be in India in the afternoon. I might stop by Kenya just to see how <laughs> things are going. And I'd still be home in time for dinner. It'd be perfect. Oh, it would be. Well, so you believe that our lives are filled with hints to our purpose and place. And that divine calling is far more than a job that we might hold. It's the way God himself has crafted you to love and serve others well at home, at work, in our community, and around the world. So what would you say to the woman that is weary of trying to find her purpose and calling? I think we've overcomplicated it. Uh, We have overcomplicated it. Um, I've written a book. I know we'll talk about it a little bit later. But I've written a book that is based upon the stories that I have learned from the women I have served with around the world. And I feel, especially here in the U.S., we complicate things so much. We believe that there has to be a plan. It needs to fit well on a spreadsheet. We have to have a calendar that lays it all out. Everything has to be perfect and in place before we launch. And I will tell you, after working with women Um, who don't worry about those things, what you realize first and foremost is that God's purpose is us. We keep telling people, God has this perfect plan for your life. And in reality, God's plan is your life. It Mm. is your life. It is your life in the complexity. It is your life in the pain. It is your life in the redemption of those moments and in the celebration But God's purpose for you is to live your life fully right where you are. You don't have to go somewhere. You don't have to be a certain age. You don't have to have all of the bells and whistles in place. You don't have to have a voice that resonates on a stage that's big. There is purpose right where you are. And our country does not honor that well. We don't honor you simply 
loving those around you, feeling the ache within you that says, oh, wow, I've got this nudge that wants to use my hands for good, and then doing that and not, um, not worrying about if it really falls in line on a whiteboard or a spreadsheet. We just, we are called as women, we are designed as women to serve. We are designed as women to see things differently, hear things differently. Our nerves are even connected differently. So we feel differently. And it's a beautiful thing if we don't fight against it. And so um, that would be the biggest thing that I would tell women is just stop trying to find it and simply look around at what God has provided you with right now. And allow that to, to become the purpose that's within you. So, so good. Well, you, you say that there are only two storylines that awaken you, Jesus speaking and rescue. So would you share these um, two dreams? Oh, well, I wish that my Jesus speaking to me dreams were a whole lot more than the rescue dreams, but I'm um, the Jesus speaking dreams, honestly, when they come to me, I hold them and I journal them. And I have a feeling that other folks have these dreams too. They just may not recognize them as the Lord saying, Hey, I'm here for you and I'm encouraging you. I'm saving you. I'm, I'm, I'm redeeming a moment. Um, I'll just, I'll name a couple. One honestly was when I was a small child in my bedroom Late at night, I was already tucked in bed, and I dreamt that a man was standing by my bed, and he was holding my hand and pulling, like tugging at my hand for me to get up out of bed. And the dream was so real, and I woke up, and there was nobody in my room, but my hand was still elevated, and it felt warm, and it scared me. I was little. But then I looked over and I had a big picture window in my bedroom. And then we lived um, on a golf course, not on the not on the fancy side of the golf course, mind you, but on a golf course. And there was a huge, those big vapor lights that cast a lot of light. And so it always shone into my bedroom window. And that night, the vapor light was shining through my bedroom window and my curtains, but I could see a figure outside. And I could hear a scratching noise. And so panicked as a little girl, I crawled out of bed and I crawled in my parents' room, shook them and woke them up. I was like, somebody's at my window. Somebody's at my window. The man told me to wake up. The man woke me up. And my mom tucked me in bed. She's like, honey, you're, you're fine. We live in a safe neighborhood. Well, the next morning we found out that two houses down, the house had been broken into and robbed. And my screen in my window had been slashed. Oh. And so um, my mom at that point said, wow, honey, somebody did wake you up. Maybe it was an angel that woke you up and protected you. And I was like, mommy, it was the man. The man woke me up. So um, I didn't recognize that until later that the Lord was really, he was there. Now, was it really Jesus? I don't know. But I'll tell you, he was there waking me up and protecting me. Then um, one dream that I had, it was actually, I had been working for a nonprofit, not orphan outreach. It was one that I had left the corporate world for, 
And I honestly, it was my dream job. I was like, oh God, I am finally here. I am living the dream that I have always wanted. I am serving well and um, just absolutely adored my job. But there were um, financial cuts and I was one of the last folks on board. My job was to expand the name nationally. They needed to reduce budgets. So in marketing, my budget was cut and my job was eliminated. Well, the week before that happened, everything was still fine, working really fine, but I had this dream, and I was in a room, this nondescript room. The walls were a particular color of kind of creamy beige, and there was a dark desk, and there was a doctor sitting on the desk, and I walked in, and he said, well, I have news for you. And I said, what? And he said, you're pregnant. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I can't be pregnant because <laughs> yeah. I am not of an age to get pregnant. I said, no, 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 I can't be pregnant. And he said, no, trust me. You know what I'm talking about. There will be great pain followed by significant joy. And I said, this doesn't make sense. I'm not pregnant. And he said, no, you're getting ready to give birth. Hmm. And as I walked out of this doctor's office, I looked up and I glanced. It was so vivid. I looked up and I glanced on the wall and there were nails on the wall where pictures had hung. And I wrote it down and I told a couple of friends, I said, I had the craziest dream. Did not make any sense to me, but it kind of freaked me out. A week later, um, I, along with 10% of the workforce in that particular nonprofit, were laid off. They were so nice to me and they said, don't worry, you don't have to clean out your office anytime soon. I was supposed to go on a mission trip to do marketing. They said, you're still going to go on that trip. We want you to go on that trip. You don't have to work now. You can just participate. So as we were, um, I um, had to travel to another city to join the team and it's where the office was and some friends came to help me empty out my office. It was a few days later. And they said, you just, you work on things. We'll empty out your office. I said, okay. So they emptied out my office, got everything ready. And they said, you want to go in and check? I walked in to those creamy beige walls and that dark desk and nails on the wall where pictures had been mm. and realized that the Lord was preparing me, that I was going to have significant pain because I grieved the loss of that job. But I held on to the fact that he said, but then there will be great joy. And had I not lost that job, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. Mm. I would not well, you know, be where I'm at. Yeah. Well, you know, so God obviously speaks to you in dreams. And this, where I got all these questions based on a blog post that you wrote. And yeah. So, um, readers, if you're interested, you need to, to go back to, to her website to read those. But you say in these dreams that there's never running away. There's always a place, the safe place where we are headed and where you want to just once not wake up in the battle. And as you wake up, you open your eyes to the ache of knowing the battle is real. It's alive in the waking hours. So would you share about this battle and your burden for those in need of ransom and rescue? Sure. Um, in my dreams, it really is when those rescue dreams I've been dressed in camouflage before and we've been dressed in the cloak of night before. And it's always um, moving people out of a place of harm 
toward a place of safety. And those dreams are alive and well. Um, And in the work that I do now with Orphan Outreach and the work that I've done with other nonprofits, those dreams are alive and well. Uh, For example, just got back from Guatemala. 80% of all girls and women in Guatemala have experienced some sort of abuse. Mm. And there are few resources to truly provide not just rescue. I think a lot of us, we look at those wonderful raids when young ladies who are in brothels and things, they're moved out, they are, they are rescued, and we applaud. But rescuing someone and moving them out of a place of harm and into a place where there is not harm is an, an incomplete role for us because that though they still may feel trapped in their own, the lies that they have heard about themselves, the worth that they feel, the shame that they feel. And so moving those women in particular, even though it's not just women, there are plenty of boys and men that have also experienced abuse and neglect and harm at the hands primarily of people that they have been told to trust. Um, To just move them into a place of safety but not then provide the appropriate care to help restore wholeness um, is an incomplete work. And so I think that that's why I have the dreams of rescue is because very real life, not just in countries around the world, but right here in the United States, we tidy it up here. We uh, paint pretty pictures around it and we use really lovely stats to show the great work that more work that needs to be done. And so that burden and that, um, that ache lives with me every day. I've learned to live with this sense of joy and grief. They just coexist in my heart all the time. But I believe, and I, again, I said it earlier, I'm addicted to hope. And I really believe that when we work together and we hold each other and we walk these journeys together, we will find the place not only of safety, but of redemption and restoration. Well, so you actually say that we are all called to rescue. So how do we lead others to this safe place, practically speaking? It starts with listening and it starts honestly with presence. In a world that is so disconnected and social media makes us feel connected and we feel like we have more information than we ever have about so many topics, which can overload us, honestly. Our presence in somebody else's life is the first step, honestly, in helping lead people to a safe place for restoration to happen. It's taking the time to actually sit with someone and listen to their story. It is, um, it is learning a little bit. You don't have to know everything about everything, but learning a little bit about resources that are available for someone. And maybe that unsafe place they have is all about their worth and their significance because of, um, It can happen in a variety of reasons. People don't have to be abused to have a feeling they just don't matter. So, again, it's presence. It's listening. It's asking to walk the road with them. 
and saying, I may not have all the answers, but you know what? I'll help find someone who does have more answers for you. And it's not pitying someone. I um, was in Honduras once and we were watching, we had been working with some kids and we were all like on the floor with them in the muck, in the mire, working with them, doing trauma-informed care. And this other group showed up and it was delightful. And they brought some balloons and cupcakes and they dropped them off and left. Mm. Uh, They never came through the door. And that's what pity does. Pity says, oh, let me fix it for you really fast. Let me fix things. I just want to fix it. Can I give you some money? Can I do something to assuage my own feelings of insecurity and lack of worth? Because I just want to fix you. Whereas compassion gets on the floor and it gets dirty with folks. And it says, hey, this might be going to take some time, but I'm here for you. And I think that just showing that compassion to others, um, to be there with others, to say, I'm going to walk the long road and I'm going to find others that help walk the long road with you is okay. But it's not pitying. It's not, I'm going to fix you. It is, I'm going to suffer with you. That's what compassion means. I'm going to suffer with you. I'm going to walk this road. I'm going to find other folks that will link arms with us as we walk this road to restoration together. Mm, that is convicting, but also inspiring. And, and you actually mentioned hope earlier. You say in one of your dreams, you awoke to a familiar ache. And for the first time, this time it was hope. So tell us about the hope that you have. At the, at the risk of sounding, um, it's, sounding like it's a platitude, my hope truly is in Christ. If Jesus is who he said he is, and if that redemption, and if God is who he says he is, and we really are in his words in Genesis 1, very good. Mm-hmm. then I have to believe that there is nothing, there is no abuse, there is no harm, there is nothing that we can do, no sin that we can commit that cannot be redeemed, covered, washed, restored, and turned into a purposeful, meaningful story in our lives and for the lives of others. Yeah. Amen. You say that Jesus chooses far more to show up in feeble flesh and bone. So how does he use us to accomplish his purposes? Mm. Jesus said um, that we would do far more than he ever did, which Mm. blows me away. Right. Yeah, Cause you're way, you're, you're saying, I'm so sorry, sir. You were fully God, fully human, <laughs> right. miracle working. Um, you were kind of a big deal, sir. Yeah. Um, so how can we do more? And I think because he wanted to remind us that we really are created in the image and likeness of God, that God's DNA, his creativity, his hope, his personality, flows in and through us. And so how do we accomplish that? By allowing him to speak through us, by being the encourager, by being the exhorter, 
by being the person unafraid to speak truth, by being the person unafraid to hold someone and watch God heal them. I think a lot of times we look and we think, oh, miracles, man. Wouldn't it be cool if we saw cool miracles? Wouldn't it be great if we saw um, a sea part or to see blind eyes healed or to see the dead raised? But we see those things every day in subtle ways. And we ignore them because they're not loud enough for us in a world that is so chaotic and loud. But God wants us to remember that we are miracle workers. We really are. Our hands have the opportunity to heal. Our voices have the opportunity to speak truth. He says our feet are beautiful. And I don't know. I got some ugly feet. But he (laughs) says, he says that our feet are beautiful because they bring peace. And in a world of chaos, peace is a miracle. And so I think that he uses us in all of our brokenness, in all of our clumsiness, in all of our awkwardness, and says, you have the opportunity to work miracles right where you are. And I want you just to open your eyes to see them because they're there. They may not be loud and they may be slow. They may be a lot slower than you want them to be, but they are miracles nonetheless. Wow, that is a great reminder and so, so encouraging. Um, Well, so on this topic, you have a new book coming out in June this year titled One Woman Can Change the World, Reclaiming Your God-Designed Influence and Impact Right Where You Are. So in this book, you introduce us to women who believe restoration is a reality on earth as it is in heaven. So how have you experienced this restoration? Oh, oh my gosh. I could go on for hours, but I'm not going to. But, hey, buy the book, and then you can read and walk. I, um, say, I can listen to you for hours. Oh, you're so kind. <laughs> you're so kind. And here I am in my rambly, you know, sleep-deprived state. Yay. No, um, not at all. It's all but, interesting. So the first time. I stepped onto foreign soil as um, I had a team with me. This was in 2009 and I had been really well trained. I was pretty brilliant. In fact, I just shared this um, (laughs) on Monday in Guatemala at a training for folks who work alongside us to translate us into um, do truly the heavy lifting of ministry. And I said, man, I was such a genius. I was brilliant. I had, every plan of how I was going to fix all the problems because we were going into an impoverished world and we were going to go to a children's home. And I, I had all the stats and I had my big duffel filled with stuff and I had a plan Mm. and I was humbled beyond belief um, in 2009 when I realized that every three-step plan that I had ever done that in the corporate side worked really well because you put it on a spreadsheet, calendared it out, mapped it all out because I thought every problem could be solved with a three-step plan. Mm -hmm. And especially if that three-step plan was alliterative, it was awesome because then (laughs) it made for really good marketing. And so, um, but I was humbled by 
these women that I met that when I would ask them about why they were doing what they were doing, their simple thing was just the, the problem was here and I couldn't walk away and they didn't have all the answers. Most of them didn't have all the education. They didn't have anything, but they had faith. They had gumption and um, they had this resolve that I wish that I could have. And they have taught me to slow down, to be patient, to not try to have all the answers in advance, but allow God to speak the answers as we're walking the journey. They have honestly changed the way I view poverty. They've changed the way um, I view um, people overall, the way I view who I perceive my enemies to be. And they definitely changed the way I perceive women. Um, I am honored to be a woman now, honored to be a woman. And I used to not think that that was such an honor. I used to think, wow, you know what? If I was a man, then I could have more power. I could have more um, purpose. I would have more opportunity. I would have those things. And I realized that I was speaking into a narrative that was doing nothing but oppress women even more. And what I realized is that, no, I have incredible power as a woman. I just need to embrace that power that God has designed, not man, not culture, not society, but God himself is designed. And that has restored me and it's made me fierce. It's made me um, a fighter, but not a screaming fighter. I'm a, I'm a ninja fighter now, mm. um, but it's made me a strong prayer warrior. It has given me um, strength in my legs to keep fighting the battle and to hang in there and to keep walking the long road. Well, and I imagine to help other women know how fierce they are too. And so I'd like you to speak into that if you would. Why do you believe in the power of one woman? Mm. I believe in the power of one woman because I've seen it lived out in the lives of many women, many women that I've seen. I'm going to go back to, I mentioned earlier about Genesis one. God, he was, he had his head on straight, right? He perfectly ordered the creation of the universe in this earth. So it would sustain life. And then he created, it says in Genesis 1, I'm not going to get into Genesis 2. I'm going to talk the very beginning, Genesis 1. It says, then he created humanity. He created them, man and woman, to co-lead, to co-steward this earth. And he looked at them and said, wow, this is very good. And so that quality and I'm not we can talk all day long about different doctrinal beliefs about where the position of women should be in the church and in leadership but I'll tell you when you look at Genesis 1 you see that we were always designed with his great pleasure in mind we were not an afterthought we were always here to help co-lead not in a puff our chest out sort of way, but the way he designed us 
physically, emotionally, spiritually, was truly to help see the world in a unique way, to hear things in a unique way. If you do research, you find out that the neurotransmitters between our eyes and our brain, the neurotransmitters in a woman, we see nuance and color that cannot be seen by a man. And that's okay. Doesn't discredit a guy. Doesn't make us better. It makes us different and different is amazing. Yeah. We are the, are the nerves within our body are more tightly connected. So we hear fact and we feel at the same time. You can give us a stat and we will feel the story within that statistic. And he just did that to move us to action, to move us to nurture, to move us to care. Um, the old adage, which I also found out is around the world, is that a woman has eyes in the back of her head. Well, if you look, it's because our eyes are designed. Our peripheral vision is wider. It's just the way it is. Really? So, yeah. Our peripheral vision is wider. So kind of we do have eyes in the back of our head. We get to see more. Mm. We can take in more information. Again, it doesn't make us better. It makes us delightfully different and unique and purposeful. Mm, delightfully so different. So good. So if we just embrace, not try to find power or seek power or be told what constitutes power, but if we just embrace the power that has always been there within us, that's transformative in our lives. Yeah. Ah, transformative and so interesting. That was so interesting. Such good information. You, you also believe that we must all do our part and then trust in God's multiplication power to use our offerings for his purposes and glory. So in all of your travels and all of your time serving, have you witnessed this to be true in your own life? I have. I think that we um, all, and maybe I, I'm not speaking for every man. I do have friends that love to be behind the scenes and things, but I think most of us, I would say all of us want what we do in this life to count for something. Yes. And it's easy for us to get caught up in that counting as believing that, oh, unless I see the end game, right? Unless I see it all the way through to the end, I have not done my part. But in Acts, it says that Paul did his piece and Paul did his piece. And if we all do our piece, if we all do our piece, then the full story is revealed. Then all the puzzle pieces come, in, come together. Um, one of the things that I talk about a lot with um, teams and when I speak to women is that we all talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm like, oh, wow, if we're all the hands and feet of Jesus, then Jesus is deformed. <laughs> right? Yeah, right? He's not. And so I challenge folks like, I want you to think about where emotion hits you, where the feelings hit you, what compels you to want to act to action and think about what part of the body, a real human body that might be. My best friend um, who has traveled with me for years, her name is Courtney. We talk about that she's like the gut of Christ. <laughs> she literally, if she feels it, you watch her, like her body even responds. 
And she is, she is built for strength. And in crisis, you want somebody like her because man, in crisis, she gets super focused. She just feels like she lifts the burden. Me, on the other hand, I'm not the gut of Christ. No way. But I will tell you that I'm somewhere in the lungs area. I am somewhere. I am compelled. I want to speak. I can't not speak. Mm. And I am built for stamina. I know that. So that whole feeling like, I don't know, maybe I'm the lungs. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm the voice part. I don't know. But I'm telling you that I'm something that is more about stamina and the long road. And so and I promise if you think about it, you'll go, wait, I don't know. Maybe I'm the back because yeah. I bear a mm-hmm. burden. I'm okay with bearing a burden or you know what? Maybe I'm the liver because I'm the person that just is passionate about finding truth and cutting out the poisons that might hurt others. I want to reveal truth and purity. And so um, when I think about that, I go, oh, I don't have to be all the parts of the body. And I don't have to see the end game to know that the peace that I'm doing is okay. It's all right. I, and I've thought about, it's like, what if my purpose in life is just to get somebody else to the next step? Mm, What if that's only my purpose is just to get somebody to the next step? Is that enough? Yeah. And in God's eyes, that's absolutely enough. Cause that's, he's like, yes, you're that one step that you think is such a small step resonates throughout eternity. That's kingdom come. Yeah. Yeah. It all matters. And I'm going to have to be thinking about what body part I am. You know, I thought that was so cute, but so true about the hands and feet. So, so what would you, for the woman that is listening right now, and I'm one of them, um, feeling insecure about what she has to offer, what, what would you say to her? I would tell that woman, I would tell you to, first of all, um, take a little bit of time to do some self-assessment, not, um, not scary scientific assessment, even though I honestly am an assessment junkie. I can tell you every letter, every number, um, every strength. I just think assessments are awesome. Not that I let them to define me, but I think they're okay to take to allow God to speak into. Yeah, that's, that is a part of your personality. Um, that is the way you might think or the way you might view things. But you don't have to take assessments to be able to sit down and do a self-assessment and start with, what gifts and talents do I actually have to bring? And I promise you, if you're honest with yourself, it's not bragging to write down. It might be, I am great at balancing a budget. I am, I adore, um, I adore serving others. I adore, I adore cleaning a house, which is not my thing, but other people adore it. And that's good. Um, But beyond those kind of things that, you know, the outward things, I'm a writer, I'm a painter, I'm good at math, I 
um, am great at process management. Look also at the things that are not necessarily readily seen. I love to pray. I believe God at his word. I get fired up about truth. Write down those gifts and talents that you have. Those are unique spiritual gifts, unique spiritual offerings that you have to give. First, start by looking at yourself realistically. In the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of you not getting it right every single day, look at the gifts and talents that you have been designed with. And then gather a few trusted people and say, will you help walk this road with me? I really would love to see the offerings that I have. Not that I'm going to bundle up and then sell to the world, but will you help me see myself, the broken pieces of me in a different light? Mm. And then ask God to help redefine those things that you see about yourself. He's faithful and true. If he's the author of your exquisite story and he says he's the perfecter of it and he says that what he began, he will finish, then he is faithful to help walk through that process. And he will never be offended on the days that you say, dude, you're out of your head. That is not who I am. And as you see, I have this really, my language with the Lord is probably offending a lot of people, but I'm real gut level. And so he'll share things with me or um, encourage me. And I'll go, sir, I love you, Lord. I love you so much. But right now I'm not liking what you have to say. And I feel, I feel like sometimes it's like, it's okay. If I was you, I probably wouldn't like it either, but let's keep going, honey. Let's keep going. Mm -hmm. So he's, he is not going to be offended by your gut level conversations with him. Yeah. He does not need your flowery language. You trust me, you're not going to offend him with any words that you use to describe yourself or him. And he will help you. There are some good things that you can do. I even have a list of 15 questions on my website that you can download for free that just help kind of walk through what were the dreams I had as a kid, what are the places that feel most comfortable to me, um, what people am I most comfortable around, what fires me up, some real basic questions that you can ask yourself that I asked myself a few years ago to say, really, what is what is my thing? Um, instead of trying to find it, what are what lives within me already mm-hmm. that God is using that I'm not recognizing and that he wants to energize and fire up even more as I just open my hands to him and say, hey, I'm here and I'm ready for you. So I think one of the things that gets into um, the way of us serving, so to speak, and offering what we have is, is the feelings of I must do something. And then the other feeling of I'm helpless to do anything. So how do we, we press into these two types of feelings and then also move past them? I, I really think that our um, unique place in Um, in diving into hurt and diving into brokenness and diving into the journey with other people 
lives somewhere between the I must do something and I'm helpless to do anything. The I must do something is that I need to fix this. If I can't see it all the way through, if I can't make a significant change, then I can't do anything. If I can't do it all, I can't do anything. Yeah. And so we allow those polars or those polar opposites to really stymie us, to paralyze us. And what we need to say is, oh, wait, the doorway is between those. And the doorway is there's opportunity for me today to, I can always do something. First of all, I never get a pass on prayer. I might not be able to fix a problem. I may see a world crisis that I'll never be able to really be able to affect, but I don't get a pass on prayer. I can pray. That is something I am capable of doing. That is something that I am instructed to do. And that cracks open um, the, that cracks open darkness and let's light shine in. And so I can pray. Can I fix everything? No, but I can pray. Can I fix everything? No, but I can learn and I can advocate. I can't fix everything, but I can also, I can also believe that other folks are walking on this journey who have the power to fix some things. And I can trust that I'm not in this alone. Because that's another thing is we think, oh, nobody else is doing anything. And if it's all on me and I have to fix it all. And no, we're walking on a journey with other people and other folks are equipped and talented. And so if I use my gifts, if I use my talents, if I use those feelings the way God has wired me, and I embrace those every day and say, you know what, today I can't fix it all, but I'm not helpless because I can pray. I can be present. I can encourage. I can write a letter. I can, um, I can find someone else. I can encourage someone else who is empowered, who does, that is their gift. I can hold a hand. I can give a hug. I can remind somebody that their life, this very life is actually essential. And that we're, they, we really are all in this together. So the, the stories the, of the women that you've included um, in your book, you, you say that they've changed you and you know that they will change us too. What are some of the common characteristics that you see connecting all of these women's stories? Mm, the, I would say the first thing that connects us all is that we are all, we are all imperfect. There is not one woman that is in my book or one woman that I have met anywhere who has it all together. Right. They deal with everything from mental illness to um, abuse and neglect. They are not wealthy. They are not, they don't have every degree. Um, They don't have a shingle on the door that qualifies them necessarily. If they do, that's, it's cool, right? We all have different gifts. We all have different talents. We all have um, different strengths. 
But these women don't all have that one thing in common, that everything is together and the education is all in place and they've gotten all the answers and all of that. The one thing that I've watched, the most common thing that I've seen is that we are not all together. We are all on this journey um, toward wholeness and restoration. Um, we all have a deep and abiding love for Christ, even though even that looks differently depending upon denomination or background or the country we live in or things. But there's this deep and abiding love for Christ that says, I actually trust you at your word, Christ, but help me because sometimes I don't know if I really believe, but I know you're going to help me believe. And then I'm just going to walk this road. These women take it step by step. They're not trying to fix it all. They're not trying to come up with the end game solution. They're walking step by step. They are not trying to enter into space that is not theirs. They're not trying to change. It's interesting because my book is called One Woman Can Change the World. But these women are not trying to change everything about everything. They are looking at the world that they have influence over, the world that they are living inside and saying, this space, I'm okay in this space. Even if it's a small space, even if it's a space that is only as big as a neighborhood or only as big as um, a community or only as big as my family, that is a huge world. And they're okay with that. They're not trying to step onto a platform that is not for their feet to stand on. They are not trying to build something that is that will end up exhausting them and destroying them in the process. They're like, no, I'm good. I'm good here until God says move. I'm good here. And I hold on to that um, so much because I'm still a striver and I am a recovering, um, I'm a recovering workaholic and I still have to remind myself daily that I just need to breathe and remember what's the world around me um, and be present in that world. Yeah. Well, in your book, you also explore timeless and boundless, boundless truths about leadership what do you think makes a good leader, um, in your opinion? The, I would say the most important thing about leadership is not how to, we can all learn, it's easy to write five steps on how to manage a great meeting or how to do a great employee evaluation or um, how to build a good plan of action. But a true leader that I have seen and this is in the corporate world as well as in the ministry world, true leaders are, um, they really are servants. They look at the landscape. They are fair, that they are focused. They see and they have vision, but then they invite people into that vision. They give and empower people to walk alongside them to help. They don't try to clutch that um, leadership, they don't try to clutch management in their own hands and say, it's mine and I'm not sharing it. But they allow the people around them to feel that ownership, to feel that leadership, to feel that empowerment, 
to be able to walk the journey too. A good leader is never going to hold on to people and say, oh, you can't go anywhere else. A good leader is going to give people wings and then allow them to go where they need to go. Allow them to grow. Allow them to surpass. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, And that's what I've seen in the women that I've worked with. And not just women. I've got... I'm honored to have so many men in my life that really believe that as well and say, I want you to thrive. I want you to grow. Um, this is where I'm, I'm standing and I want you to be 20 miles down the road from me. I want to be able to watch and see where God takes you and celebrate that with you. So something that you talk about um, in your book is gritty hope and gritty grace. Mm -hmm. So what uniquely qualifies us as women to be keepers of both of those things? Well, if I, if I go back to the way we're designed, the way God designed us, I think because of this um, strength that he has given us, uniquely given us the way he, uh, the way our body is shaped, everything the, um, our capacity to um, create life and our capacity to bear the burden. I've, I've seen women in Guatemala and they'll have a basket on their head that's filled with fruit while they're carrying one baby on their back and another baby on in an arm and then holding a container of water in the other hand. And you look at that and you're like, wow, look at that is a beautiful thing that for Whatever reason, when God saw women and he designed and shaped us, said, I'm going to shape you in such a way that you are able to carry many stories at the same time. You're going to be able to carry hope. You're going to be able to carry burdens. You're going to be able to carry pain. And your eyes are going to be able to stay directed forward. And so the these women that I have seen, the women or the woman that I am becoming and will continue to become. It's not pristine, the hope and grace. A lot of times we make everything really pretty. We look at hope and we, um, it's pretty and sparkly, but this gritty hope that they have is like warrior hope. It's a fighting hope. It is a hope that in the midst of captivity, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of the battle, says, no, I'm moving forward. I still see light. I'm still walking. Because I believe that even here in the midst of the pain, God's truth is real and we will stand. And that grace that comes from that looks around and says, I know right now that you are aching, my sister. I know that. I know right now you feel like crumbling, but I'm going to wrap my arm around you and I'm going to show you. I want you to lift your eyes. Just lift your eyes just a little bit. I want you to see. Do you see that light? It might be a pinpoint light, but that is hope. Let's keep walking. And don't get caught in the mire. Yes, you... um, Yes, you may have made bad decisions. Yes, pain may have come your way. Yes, you may have been harmed. Yes, you may have harmed others. Come on, let's confess it. Let's move on. Let's keep moving. Because hope 
continues to shine on us in the midst of it all. Mm-hmm. Amen. So this season, I am asking my guests who has loved them well. So Ronnie, who has loved you well and how did they love you well? Oh my gosh, my list would be so long. Um, And I know I would leave people out. When I was writing my acknowledgments for my book, I continue to go, oh man, I forgot. I forgot to put this person in. And I wanted to thank, thank them too. I'll say that the very first person who loved me really well was a woman named Prudence. And we called her Prudy. She was my, she was, we called her my aunt. But if you look at it, she was like my second cousin twice removed because of double kin, which doesn't make sense to me, but it's okay. But <laughs> she was tiny and she always called me Sweetie Pie. And she had this little tiny, like, oh, my Sweetie Pie. She had this tiny little voice. But that woman was fierce in her faith. And she had been through everything. She had been, um, she had gone through the depression. She had lived a hard life. She had lost kids. Um, Later in life, she was robbed at gunpoint, beaten up. She remained so resolute. And she spoke over me over and over again and reminded me that I was valuable. And that was in the midst of living with an alcoholic father who was very verbally abusive. That was in the midst of having um, another relative who had abused me sexually and me feeling that I really didn't have a lot of worth, even as a small child. Um, But she reminded me, and I still hold on to her words to this day because I believe it was her prayers, her fierce prayers and her speaking over me and just reminding me that I actually mattered that has brought me so far and I can't wait one day to celebrate with her in heaven and to give her the hugest hug and just thank her again for her Mm -hmm. love. So to tailor this question specifically to you even more so, how can we as women change the world with our love? Oh, wow. Not getting in the way of ourselves, honestly. Not thinking that we do have to have everything together. Not comparing ourselves with us and saying, well, unless I have this gift or unless I have that talent or unless I'm this age or unless I live in this area, I really don't have value. It is finding the neighbor, finding the friend, finding the stranger, but on social media, Reminding whoever happens to be reading our posts that we really matter and that our lives, uh, it is essential, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of brokenness. The Lord says that love is the mark of true maturity. And we have that opportunity to show true maturity by loving each other, not being offended, forgiving, showing grace, holding out a hand, elevating someone, holding someone. That is the most impactful thing that we can do is to show true maturity by loving well. Yeah. 
Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I, you know, just you never know God's timing with um, interviews. And uh, but just yesterday, we have a few compassion children, and one of our children had aged out, and so they sent us a new picture of our new child. You know, and so I'm, you know, I'm showing my kids this this new um, little girl that we got that's three, and I just was saying, you know, isn't she so cute? Wouldn't you love to go visit her? How neat would that be? And so my little girl who's eight, she said, let's do it. I really want, I want to play with her. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to her. I want to, and I, and I said, would you really want to go on a mission trip? And she said, yes. And I said, Kate, me too. And Mm so I'm, 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 I'm adding this to our conversation. So for the woman out there listening, like me and my little girl, Kate, who say, okay, I've not been on a mission trip, mm-hmm. you know, outside of the country or, or even, I mean, I've been like local um, missions, but what would you say to her? The woman that's, that's prompted by your story to say, I want to get involved. How, how does she do that? If a woman says I want to get involved and I would really love to go and serve in my local community. Well, text me, message me. I'll help you find, honestly, I'll help you find, um, good organizations in your local area. I have friends, um, across the country who do incredible things that can get you plugged in. If you feel that it's time for your hands, your feet to move and your hands to reach out and do good. If you want guts in your lungs and your back too, that's right. Your hands (laughs) and your feet and your lungs and your mouth and your heart and your head, all those things. Um, yes, not just hands and feet, um, (laughs) but if you want to serve internationally, um, gosh, I'd love for you to travel with me, um, with orphan outreach, but you mentioned another amazing organization, compassion. There are a lot of organizations around. Let's find out that thing that really charges you up. What is the, um, what is the need that fires within your soul? If it is orphan care, caring for orphaned and vulnerable children, if it is helping families and strengthening families so communities are stronger and and kids can stay in homes and stuff, and reach out and we'll talk and I'll talk to you about all the places that you might be able to serve with Orphan Outreach. If you've got a child who is ready to serve, bring that child along with you. And give them the opportunity to see a world that's much bigger than their own. This last week, I I had a mom-daughter team on the trip. And the daughter, she it was wonderful because her thing is like, wow, it was a game changer for me. I needed to see this world. I needed to understand what it was like. I've lived this insular life and I've needed and I needed to see. And now my world has been changed and everything that I see now around me looks different. Mm. And if I could, I would pay for, I, if I, if, you know, if money, the whole of money or time were no object, I would bring everybody and bring them. It doesn't have to be outside the United States, but I would bring them into a world that does not feel like their own. And, yeah. and then allow them to see the brokenness in the landscape and the hope that rises and the beauty that rises. Well, so just, just for my personal, uh, this is sort of a selfish question, but maybe it'll resonate with somebody else. So my, my daughter's 
eight. Yeah. I mean, is there, is there an age in your opinion that it, it's too, they're too young, you know, for, for safety or for even just the vaccinations they need to get yeah. to for international missions or, or do you put an age on it? What, mm-hmm. what do you, what's your opinion on that? We do put an age um, on international missions, possibly, you know, and some of it is because some of it's the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. There are some of the vaccinations that are, I mean, they're, they are, it takes a little bit for an adult to, you know, you get yellow yeah. fever, a yellow fever vaccination before you go to Kenya and, and you're feeling kind of punk for a couple of days. What are Big, the youngest child that I've ever had on a team was 10 years old, but his mom and dad were both there and they were committed to wrapping around him and helping him. So it wasn't just on the staff, but they wanted to experience that with them for orphan outreach. We normally ask that the child be in their teen years, 12, 13, we've taken middle school kids with a parent and, but we do a lot of conversation. We want to make sure that the child can, doesn't need to have a nap in the middle of the afternoon. Right. Those are yeah. important things that, you know, a, a ministry day can be long. It can be really emotional. So you do want, ask yourself things like, is my kid going to be able to make it through a long, a long ministry day? Is your child in a place where emotionally being able to see kids in, um, in settings and in environments that look strikingly different to theirs, that they will be able to comprehend with good, good with good guidance and stuff. I mean, we do talks in the morning, we do debriefs in the evening, we do training in advance, we do training afterwards. We try to make sure because man, even for big people, it can be hard mm-hmm. when you step into poverty when you walk into a home and it's dirt floors and a pit latrine and everything in your comfortable first world existence tells you that everything about that home is not good to be able to say no wait a second i need to understand culturally where i'm at i need to understand what my the cultural norms are i've got to let go of my expectations and understand culturally what is good and culturally what is normal And then I can focus on the one thing or the two things that may really need my opportunity to come alongside to provide support, respite, care, those things. Um, And so, um, for example, the young lady that was on the trip last year, she ministered to young women who were her age and younger who are moms. Oh, wow. And she said, the hardest thing for me right now is looking in the eyes of a young lady who has been raped by a family member. And she's holding an infant and thinking, that was me, that she's younger than I am. Mm. And could I do what she's doing right now? What would I do if I was in that place? But her mom was there. We were there. And we talked through that. She was able to talk to the staff of the home and see the care that was being provided. So she was able to walk through that um, and be honest about her feelings. But it is those be, and then making sure that you're with a trusted organization that is providing the appropriate care that has got boots on the ground long after you leave, that it's not just 
here comes the group from the U.S. Come and yeah. do a little bit, and then you walk the away, again. and it's yeah. and there's nothing. It is yeah. finding an organization where you can say, "I'm a link in a chain. I'm the cousin coming to visit. I'm here to walk alongside." But there are folks that are doing the heavy lifting every single day, and I am here to. Um, I am here as a partner. I am not here as a solution. Wow. This has been such a helpful, um, insightful uh, conversation. And and so how do we um, all keep in contact with you and, and connect with you? Well, thankfully, because I've got an odd name and um, it's Ronnie, R-O-N-N-E. It's a nickname that I've had since middle school. And so I, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, um, see Facebook, look at this. So great. Even my website, everything is Ronnie rock. So that's the easiest way to, to keep up with me. Um, I don't Snapchat. I don't TikTok, just because it's really easy to get addicted to those, all of those platforms. And being a creative person, I just have to govern myself or else I'd spend all my time playing on all that stuff. So, um, but Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, my website, all Ronnie, R-O-N-N-E, rock. Easy to find me. Well, Ronnie, thank you so much for today and, and, and more than anything for your heart to make a difference in this world and for the people in it. I believe, and I'm sure the listeners hearing you know, your message today, you are changing the world. And I pray that each woman listening believes that she can too. God bless you, Ronnie. Oh, God bless you too, Rachel. Thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into today's episode with Ronnie Rock. I hope that you are inspired to believe that you have the ability to change the world, one woman and one love offering at a time. If you're interested in show notes or just connecting, you can find me over on social media on Instagram and on Facebook at Rachel Adams Author. And you can also connect with me at rachelkadams.com and have the show notes and my weekly love offering sent directly to your inbox. Next week is my guest, Melinda. Fuller. She is the author of Obedience Over Hustle. If you have ever been one to just feel like you always have to strive and produce, which is me, I'm raising my hand right here, then this is a great conversation for you. You're not going to want to miss that next week. But until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love.